Welcome to the Therapy Evolved Podcast, brought to you by Paragon Wellness. Each episode, we discuss the modern behaviors that trigger positive emotional states by tapping into the body and brain's evolved needs, which are so often neglected in modern life. Join us as we talk with experts in a relevant field, as well as everyday people who've experienced better mastery over themselves and their lifestyles through applying the principles of behavior we espouse. And if you'd like to know more, please join us at paragon-counseling.com or facebook.com slash paragonwellness. Thanks again for joining us. former esteemed guest. Welcome back, Beth. How you doing? Uh, doing great. I'm really looking forward to um, the topic. Uh, I was talking about it this morning and the, to someone at the coffee shop, and he was like, oh, that's interesting, because I, I think that what we're talking about today obviously applies to every human being on the planet. And what would that be? Um, stress, of course. Uh, so what I'm imagining we're going to do today is maybe define it from an evolutionary perspective. You're going to have to handle that part. Um, And then hopefully we can talk about ideas for what to do about it. I like it. Um, What did the person at the coffee shop have to say about stress? Well, I didn't just dive right in with stress. Uh, He asked me what I was doing today, and I was honest. I was like, I'm going to go be on, I'm going to go do a podcast. And he said, oh, what about? And I said that, evolutionary um, psychology or like the approach to the human mind that's taking into account um, evolution and kind of how we ended up this way. Mm -hmm. I recently read a quote in um, like a a book where it said it was only just like such a short time ago from an evolutionary perspective that we started walking on two legs Mm -hmm. and our thinking started getting us into trouble. Sure. Well, I mean, you look at it, if you, if you go by radiocarbon data, dating, excuse me, and by like, um, when, you know, if you don't go with the, we were around with dinosaurs and the flood and all that stuff, and if you go with, um, you know, sort of like we came out of Australopithecus and Homo erectus and all these other like sub-stages of human, right? And when we became the humans that we are, we only got agriculture in the last 10% of our modern existence. Okay. And until if you don't have agriculture, you don't get the same stay in the same place very long. Okay. And there's so many things that are, and I've done a bit of traveling myself, and been able to pick up and leave things behind. And half the fun of that place is like it was fun while it lasted, but now I get to go. Mm. You know. And so if you have no agriculture, you you go where your food source goes. So on some level, like we're adapted to change, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden we really rapidly adapted to like convenience and staying in the same place maybe not so well though ah okay so like now you get agriculture okay and then now you get your first people get the bright idea okay well we set up by this water source now we have food forever you know barring drought and war and and stuff like that so now we can um, build walls you know now we can stay around each other and then when we die our children get all our stuff and now we have the beginnings of like social inequity on a vast scale. Yes. No, I mean, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around it. It just, uh, 
but so on some level though like some of the systems problems that we have in 2018 or some of the things that are inherently stressful for us were born of our ancestors really hoping that they were going to make life easier for us absolutely no one no one said i would like to stop chasing buffalo i'm getting the animal wrong guys don't shred me on that but no one said i would like to stop chasing buffalo because i want my life to be harder yeah. I think we should settle down and eat rice and grains and live in castles and be butchered by kings so that, you know, things are going to be tougher and harder and more miserable for us. That, I'm sure that was nobody's logic when they made that transition from nomad to settled way of life. So maybe more like, I'm really sick of being hungry and tired and I want my kids to be well fed. Sure. And yeah. I, I like the idea, you know, that if I settle down and I work really hard, I get to have that knowledge, that evolutionary security that my children have nice, uh, clean rivers and they have protective walls and they get to have a thing that they own no matter what they do. Mm, okay. And, but imagine if you do that 10 generations down the road, now you have very few people who have the vast majority of resources. And imagine the stress that puts on the rest of everybody else. Yeah. And that wasn't the case in hunter-gatherer societies because they were really small you couldn't inherit much more than you can carry. And nobody would stay in the same tribe and work their butt off when they could just leave and go hunt somewhere else. Well, and also to be fair, like we can't like romanticize this time in human evolution like human evolution yeah. too much, right? Because people were dying well, left and right. Tigers are scary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I read somewhere and I can't quote my sources, maybe I'll have to get better about doing that. I can't cite that source. But that like the um, the uh, average age or like life expectancy was like 35. Consider infant mortality though. Right. Yeah. Okay. But then also adding into that, but like the most likely cause of death was murder. Was it? I don't know. Cause you know, I don't, I didn't do the research on this, but I mean all the possibilities, right? Murder, vipers, tigers, starvation, uh, rock slides. Sure. And then <laughs> thinking about like who's collecting this data. It's gotta right. be like archeologists, not necessarily. It's not like a census. Some, sure. some like, non-hunter, non-gatherer was going around like taking this information from people and being like, how, how did your husband You know, die? murder would definitely be on my list of things <laughs> I don't want to have happen. So even if it's not a perfect census, I'm down with it. Well, right. And so I'll have to, I'll, maybe I'll have to come a little more. Um, so in the spirit of, of why we're doing this podcast together is you're really smart um, and you know a lot. And I work really hard on understanding what you're talking about so I can make it more easily digestible for myself and perhaps for other people who are listening. So I'm arrogant and disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not that smart, but I really love to listen. So yeah, we'll, we'll work yeah. it out. Um, and Beth is loaded with emotional intelligence. And relatability, <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah, back to stress, okay. back to stress. Um, so, I mean, you think about like that piece and um, anecdotally, I did some time in the jungle, right? I lived in the Amazon with the Shuar people for a while, and um, I loved many things about it, personally. I liked not having to worry about bills in the moment. I liked that um, I was very fit at that time. I didn't have to work at it except to get food. Mm-hmm. I liked that you had a very short work day. You checked your traps for meat. You maybe went fishing. You packed your mud hut. You sharpened your tools, and then you're, you're good, and you're hanging around the campfire having fun doing ayahuasca, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's some things I sounds great, Ken. There's some things I don't miss though. Right. Um, bullet ants, I could do without bullet ants. Those mm-hmm. are horrible. They're, they earn their name. Um, I could do without like fist-sized mosquitoes. I could do without jaguars. 
Um, I could do without Anaconda, without Cayman, without 100-pound river otters that want to hurt you. Um, I could do without a lot of that stuff. So by the time I came back, I was like, uh, to hell with evolution. I'm all about hot water and crisp sheets. Sure. You know? And so, yeah, I, I do have uh, something for our listeners. Um, the first time I, I heard this like statistic, uh, it was on Dr. Alice Domar's CD about stress. And so this is like pre-podcast where you okay. buy the CD and listen to it. I used to play it for my clients in group. And one of the things that she says is like in in present day, the human, like in the human experience, we have something like 50 stress responses per day. Mm-hmm. More starting, than, yeah, yeah, starting with, you know, the alarm going off and you getting mm-hmm. like ripped out of sleep because you're not on like the sun goes down, I go to sleep, the sun goes up, I wake up. So like you're not on like a, a natural sleep-wake cycle, but then it just kind of keeps going from oh, there. Yeah. And so, even before then, right, you have blue electronic lights that mm-hmm. destroy the value of your sleep while you're even getting it in less amounts. Okay. You know? So yeah, even the sleep isn't necessarily quality, but then I get in my car, I get uh, cut off in traffic, I get that same kind of like adrenaline pumping cortisol, you know, heart starts banging out of my chest but what's interesting um is that as human beings our brain has evolved to the point that we also don't just like have the stress response and then calm ourselves back down we have a stress response and then we stay in that stress response with the way that we start thinking about getting stressed out sure well i mean keep in mind that almost getting hit by a two thousand pound car is probably more dangerous than most things people did in nature. Like, I know mm. we, we don't think about it because we have this cute little aluminum and glass wall in the way, but nothing in nature is going to attack you at 80 miles an hour. Okay. You know? So our body, so our body is still prepped for this, like, hunter-gathering lifestyle, um, but our minds are trying to become acclimated to what are our, our current stresses? So it's not just, um, you know, so traffic's a great example, but then I go to work, I open up my email, there's something that feels maybe inflammatory, mm-hmm. and it's just words on a screen, right? So yeah. then there's like the size of uh, the stressor, which is like a two-ton vehicle, but then there's also something that is minuscule in its, like, actual size, but to me it feels... As stressful or more so. Well, especially if you've already been layering layering on the sediment mm-hmm. of stressful activity on top of stressful activity on top of stressful activity. If you had a wonderful day and everything was going great and someone shot you a nasty email, you might be like, bless your heart, have a nice day. Mm. But if you just almost got killed by three dually trucks okay. just driving in... Well, and so then one of the things that we talk about sometimes in, in years in my profession, um, and I'd be curious to hear... Uh, in words I can understand, I would be interested <laughs> to hear um, the maybe the science behind emotional buildup. So you're talking okay. about something as like the sediment, maybe, but like it, it's I get cut off in traffic. I'm already kind of jittery, intense. I go to work, something stressful happens, and like I'm keeping on top of it. But in this case, we're talking about stress over time, yeah, maybe for sure. the way that it compounds. Like, what is it about us that? Or, or what are we doing, right, where that's happening? Okay. Well, I mean, you know, that's kind of a, that's a broad question, but I'll come to the mechanism first, hopefully, okay. hopefully in English. And um, so one thing I wish I would have understood a very, very long time ago is that every emotion we have is a physical chemical reaction. Yeah. 
I mean, I, like we take it for granted now, but to have known that when I was an angry teenager or something yeah. Yeah. would have been really valuable. Like, dude, you know, all this wacky stuff you're doing and, you know, getting yourself into trouble and having to go to the army to get out of it and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. If you'd have known you're just a machine with these little levers and dials that you need to kind of be aware of, mm-hmm. maybe not just, I'm not trying to minimize this, but... You know, that would have been helpful. Like, hey, your, your, your chemicals are wacky because they're supposed to be. And this thing that is all-consuming, this anger, this whatever you have going on in that moment, it's supposed to happen. It's a machine piece, and it'll go down. Mm. You know, that would have been helpful. Now, that being said, um, I'm using the word sediment to describe the hundreds of chemicals going on. Okay. All right. But we have some big ones, and we can go into them. We cannot. Depends how our time's going. But I found another metaphor I like for the different chemicals that make up your stress. Are you familiar with, um, you know, have you driven manual before? Yeah. Okay. So you know how you've got the little gear shifts, Mm -hmm. right? And it's interesting how we have certain chemicals that are like little gear shifts, right? And I'll try to use modern examples and maybe uh, past examples. So a modern example of the lowest sort of major stress hormone, um, glutamate, would be like your walk into your mailbox before work and you see like a past due notice on a bill. Okay. And that's a little stressful. Like, oh damn, I thought I had that. Or, oh crap, I lost hours at work. How am I going to handle this one? Mm -hmm. It's not life-threatening. It's not someone attacking you personally. You know you can, it's not an immediate problem. You're not going to be in the dark tomorrow. But it still kind of sucks. Yeah. You know? Now, you might go on. And, uh, and I will get eventually to the point of the buildup. But the next layer up, you might have somebody, like, honking at you and driving by, like, 95 miles an hour. Okay. They didn't come into your lane. They didn't, you know, it wasn't that level. But it's still stressful. And then, let's say you're running a little tight on time because you overslept. Okay. And now you're like, oh, am I going to make it on time? And am I going to get a write-up or whatever the case may be, depending on your job situation? And now we're into the territory of cortisol. You might call it like second gear, right? Gotcha. Now you're at not quite highway speeds, but you're kind of like, you know, back roads getting up to highway speed. And then, you know, I'm trying to think. The next one would be norepinephrine, which is sort of like a, things are pretty bad. Let's say you have a sort of, um, I'm going to stick with the work scenario. You get called into the office by some boss or who's equally stressed out or more. Okay. And you get, like, dressed down, maybe publicly, or they raise their voice, or they threaten you, or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, bureaucratically threaten you. And you sit there, and you just get, like, chewed out and told you're horrible at your job, and it's all your fault or whatever. Now you move into third gear, Mm -hmm. which is sort of, like, hyper-focus, hyper-vigilance. You actually feel some degree of vague threat about your safety and security. Okay. You know? And then, I don't know, adrenaline is the last gear up, and that would be like hitting your 95 miles on the interstate because you're running late kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of a modern context that might provoke that. It's We don't get adrenaline as much anymore um, simply because we don't get into life-or-death struggles as often. Mm -hmm. But let's say you're driving home after all that, and you do nearly get sideswiped by an 18-wheeler who's half asleep and on, you know, eight hits of meth, Mm -hmm. you know? That would be like, oh, God, you know. Yeah, heart's banging yeah. out of your chest. Or for me, sometimes the experience I have with a stress response is I actually feel this, like, prickling sure, through my yeah. arms, which I guess maybe is 
makes my body like yeah it's attacking your nervous system to get you ready to go yeah you know um another build-up piece is where you know what you actually ask so Mm -hmm. i had to say all that to get to the point thanks doc all right (laughs) not yet okay which is to say like um just like in a manual car shift, you don't generally, unlike a manual car shift, you can go from zero to adrenaline. It's just really unhealthy for you, mm-hmm. okay? Um, that's why your body tries to sling you some intermediate stuff to make you ready and prepared over time. Okay. But in life, we generally are not going to ramp back down to neutral or zero or one if we've been compounded up to a two or a three and we've mm-hmm. stuck there because the chemicals have created a sediment. Okay. Um, I just mix metaphors, but you get the idea. No, I I hear you. I mix metaphors all the time. It's delicious. Um, So then, for me, what I'm really interested about is, what about when there is no threat whatsoever, but I have the perceived threat? Like, I'm sitting at home at my kitchen table, but I'm thinking about something that's stressful, and I'm starting to feel like... I'm starting to get a stress response, but it has nothing to do with like a stimulus or something sure, that's happened well, in my environment. Panic attacks happen when you're sitting on the couch sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple things, right? It could be that your chemicals are already so amped up and they haven't left. Um, yeah. And then you get provoked that way. Or it could be um, that there's a piece of your brain that's responding to the repeated thought of existing memories. We call that rumination. Mm. When you think about stuff that's already happened in the past, but you're thinking about it right now and repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So what you do there is you go into a little piece called the hippocampus, if you care, and you go into another piece called the amygdala, if you care. Right. Um, Hippocampus is memory. Amygdala is your stress rattle. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, if you think about something that is stressful long enough, it will create real stress in your body whether it's happening right now or not. So say it again. Hippocampus is memory. And amygdala is your, like, stress button, among others, you know. And so I recently went to a talk that uh, Christina Rue, LCSW, uh, who is a, a clinician in our field, gave, and she was talking about how when we receive, or someone who's had something really stressful or traumatic happen to them in the past, when you receive sensory information in from your, like, sight, sound, you know, yeah, of course. whatever, um, and then in, in a trauma-impacted mind, for example... Um, the hippocampus then perceives that perhaps not, I guess, like triggers the old memory of this is dangerous because this has happened before type of thing. And then the stress response, you get like a higher one than you might otherwise. And it's because like in, in a, well, I can't go, I can't go too, too deep into it because I just may not be equipped, but basically that the, the lid is flipped where you're just not really like receiving things as they are as much as attaching them to old significance. Sure. So maybe that email isn't just, you know, I'm, I'm having a stressful day. It's like the, I received that email. And also I think about the fact that the last time my boss talked to me like this, I got shouted at and I spent the you know weekend worrying about whether or not I was going to have a job on Monday or yeah. something. Like and then that. let's take it, let's take it further downstream. Right. You know, and if I do get fired, um, in whatever field I'm working in and whatever expense level and cost of living I'm in, all of my efforts didn't leave me with the financial cushion and stability to quit. So if I do lose my job, now I'm like actually in some deep trouble territory where I'm having to either shame myself to ask for help from relatives or something, mm. or maybe maybe I don't have that because not everybody has an easy situation. Yeah. And now I'm actually facing real homelessness. Yeah. You know? 
Um, and so it's amazing because I think a lot of times we we were conditioned, like from an evolutionary standpoint, for stress to be a survival strategy. Right? That's something that like uh, you run away, you survive. Sure. Um, you even like to an extent like anxiety and worry, right? Like high alertness is something that keeps like sharper, smarter people alive. If you and I are walking like near a ledge and I'm like, man, the view's great over here. And you're like, Hey Beth, you should like rein it back in a little bit. Yeah. And I don't have that same like, Ooh, let's be cautious here. I might fall over. I'm not going to have kids. And so like to an extent we're supposed to have stress because it keeps us alert and alive. Sure. And well, there's also the, the flip to that, right? Where, the people who are too inhibited can't take the necessary risk to achieve the task. Mm. So let's say there's a lot of great food on the side of that cliff, and I just don't have the courage to go get it. Yeah, and I do, and the berries are great. Yeah, no, right. I think that the thing that's really not... Um, it's Sometimes when when clients see me and they're, they're struggling or they're in a lot of pain, it's maybe not the right time to be like, we are a miracle of human evolution. Even the fact that your brain is working sure. at this rate because people are like, thanks a lot, Beth. That really feels great. Um, but on the other hand, when you think about who had to survive over time, like your ancestors, yeah. in order for you to be sitting in this room right now, that technology and us being recorded, like it is pretty, pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah, we are the, I mean, we're the result of eons of competition to a ruthless cutthroat Olympian level, mm. like, and what we think of as an average human today, who we might not even view as very impressive, right? Compared to the past, like, I think um, I forget the name of the effect, but IQ points have been going up like ten points a decade or something, Whoa. or like three. Or, no, sorry, every ten years it's been like a few points. Mm -hmm. So they've had to renorm IQ tests because if you compare them to like the nineteen twenties. The average it would be like a 140, 150 by those days. That's fascinating. Now, there, of course, there's like, you know, um, that's not raw brain alien level growth here. It's there's some other facts like acculturation and, and you know, teaching to the test, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Sure. But there's certainly some boost in capacity. Well, so, but what you, what you kind of got at with that, uh, me like capering near a, a a cliff is that there's got to be a balance between sort of extreme risk taking, which sure. could kill you, or like paralyzing fear, mm -hmm. which is also going to keep you from being able to kind of, if we're talking about like by 2018 standards, or maybe what's the point of going to therapy as like as an adult in year 2018 is, is perhaps extreme risk-taking or paralyzing fear, like those two extremes, sure. keeping someone from being able to actually live their best life, manage their stress, or even use it as a like a catalyst for growth and change, but not like letting that stress, stress sort of bog them down to the point that it's actually causing health problems or maybe like taking them towards like a low quality of life. Sure, or to reject that stress to the point where you're making vastly reckless decisions that destroy your progress well in advance of it coming to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that. There's a field of study now called, um, you know, flow state awareness. Mm. And there's so many definitions for it, but the one I like is sort of an optimal state of human mental focus 
and awareness and responsiveness. Okay. And um, the idea of a flow state is it's made of certain chemicals and it's made of, which are, you know, your feelings, and it's made of certain patterns of electrical interaction in your brain. Mm -hmm. And what that means in English is when you're thinking a certain way and you're feeling a certain way, you light up a certain performance protocol in your body and your brain. Okay. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at or what we're both getting at is like the courage to climb down that cliff and pick those berries mm -hmm. with the caution to actually watch your footing. Yeah. You know? Or maybe even the foresight, right, to go, what would be my, uh, my path back up, right? Yeah, and that's when rope was invented. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for example, you know. And so, yeah, because um, it's, it's so interesting and we could, you know, for hours talk about like what is stress doing for us or like how much fun it is to examine um, what must have been the day-to-day -day in, um, you know, our ancestors' life. What generally kind of matters for people today is how can I have a little relief yeah. and a little more enjoyment in my life? Well, let's come back to the, the gear shift and the sediment idea, right? In fact, we do have 50 plus stressors per day on average, which mm -hmm. might be like 10 times or more what you would have had in a primitive environment. The difference is we hold on to it in a way that they don't. Right. And the really, we, this, this part isn't even a mystery. We have it pretty well dialed in um, as far as study of why do we hold on to it and, and people in primitive lifestyles do not. And the underlying current here, which is kind of like why paracon wellness is a thing, is it's physical activity. We have, a, we have a mechanism for turning stress response into broken down post-enzyme materials that get shunted out of your body. Okay, so like if I'm just going to make that easily digestible for myself, exercise sort of... Purges it. Purge, okay, so detoxes your body of your stress. Absolutely. Physic okay. Literally so, and not in some woo-woo hippie metaphor. All right. Um, if you think about the, the machinery of this, let's say I'll use a, moder a past example and a modern example. Okay. Uh, past example... You hear something growling in the woods, and you see Tony the tiger out there looking to turn you into lunch. Mm -hmm. And you run really fast to hop a river, jump over a cliff, try, climb a tree, and get on branches that are too light for him to reach. Mm -hmm. And if you succeed, um, you know, Mr. Tiger is going to go for something a little easier to eat. And you get to eventually calm down and relax because you're just going to be gushing with sweat. Okay. And in that sweat, you will find the refuse of what was once stress chemistry. Neat. I don't know if you've ever smelled yourself after like being really stressed out or working really hard. It's different. Yeah. And not in a good way. Yeah. Usually, at least for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. So there's this there's a certain like smell to that like uh, anxiety sweat or like yeah. stress sweat that's not really the same thing as like just like regular old like maybe I was clean before I started but then like gone on a jog mm -hmm. right no I, I I can appreciate that so that the the physical so the thing that happened a long time ago was stress relief was built into your you didn't day -day have a choice life. You yeah didn't. and most of our stresses the answer was obvious mm. we don't need to deliberate and go to school to figure out what to do when a tiger is chasing us or right. So yeah. like if you feel threatened in, you know, if you feel threatened in March of 2018 by say that email, 
you do have to actually stop and think, right? Sure. Like the impulse control around like, what's my move here? Because if I'm responding to what feels like a threat, the way that my ancestor might have responded to what felt like a threat. You cause bigger problems. I yeah. could lose my job. or like, jail. Yeah, the, yeah, right. So the worst case scenario is I like get escorted out of the building because I've lost my job and I'm going to be incarcerated. Right. Yeah. So the old coping strategies for stress do not work no. in our society now. Well, not directly. Mm. Right. Okay. And so, and this is the fun part, you know, now, let's take that modern example of my boss is a jerk and I hate my job, but I can't quit because I don't have any money. You know, like the classic American dream problem. And so you have, you know, back then we were not intuitive biologists. We didn't know about cells and mechanisms and all that stuff. And most of us don't either, right, today. And so you're not, the answer is not obvious to you when you're in that moment, except Mm -hmm. to bite your tongue, shut up, smile, say you'll do better next time, Mm -hmm. and keep your job. Okay even though you may disagree with every point presented. Um, however, the solution to the chemical problem, the physical sediment that's built up and trashing your functioning as a human, it's the same, just not right then and there. Gotcha. So you do still go run up a tree or hit your CrossFit or um, okay. go on a hard jog or something like that. You just don't do it right then and there. Okay. But you may still do, um, so like we're going to get to some of this stuff, I would imagine, depending on how much time we've got, you still might do some of the other things that worked but were not like labeled as stress management strategies like thousands of years ago, which is take really deep breaths to calm yourself down. Yeah, well now You may still do that. Absolutely. Um, And you may still want to do that after the tiger's gone. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, what do you have to do? When you're exercising really hard, you have to take really deep breaths. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you hit on another point of this. If you look at what we're made of emotionally, we our emotions are chemicals and our thoughts are electrical. Okay. And our movement is electrical, uh, nerves okay. and stuff. So everything we're talking about running really fast or drinking plenty of water and all that stuff, that purges out the, the toxic chemicals that were good in the moment to help you run faster. But okay. That, you know, what you're talking about, the deep breath, and um, that term is hyperoxygenation. Okay. All right. And what that does is it helps you clear out trash from your nervous system and your cells a lot faster. The reason we die of, um, like, let's say if we asphyxiate or we can't breathe, it's not a nutrient need the same way that, like, water or food is. Our bodies, um, just to function, create massive amounts of cellular trash. And even a few minutes of not doing anything about it would trash our pH, our chemical sort of balance, and kill us very quickly. So we always need a flow of oxygen to strip that stuff out. Hmm. Now, you know, more oxygen means you strip it out better. So if you're more stressed out and you're putting a heavier workload on your body, the more you breathe, the better you're able to sort of like keep up with the pace of the damage. I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it it makes sense to me, like, from the standpoint of, like, what works for me now, and then the question of being, like, the question is why. Um, when we When we ask our clients to do, like, deep breathing exercises, you know, like, the way that I might explain it to them is this is tapping into your body's natural sort of calm down relaxation response, but we have to retrain ourselves to do it, even yeah. though at some point it used to be, 
again, like you said, there's no choice. A given or like it was uh, maybe more intuitive. Um, Like if a zebra is running away from a lion, once the threat is gone, the deep breathing is also like, you know, if, if we're talking really quickly just about like diaphragmatic breathing, you put pressure on your vagus nerve, that sends a message to your brain like the threat has passed and now you can like start to calm back down and um so on the one hand we're we have to be maybe more intentional as humans in present day but we also have the access still to like all of these absolute hacks tricks whatever you want to call them that help us kind of optimize our day-to-day and also not be so I guess maybe enslaved by our own stress and the way that it kind of runs the show for us. Sure, absolutely. And if you go back to episode one, we really talk in detail, or I talk in detail, about some of those hacks or tricks or tips or whatever mm-hmm. you would call it. Um, you know, and one thing I've had, you know, kind of thought of is like, well, you know, if, if you have these problems, what's the point of talk therapy? Why don't you just learn the hacks and tricks and tips and save yourself? Right, like why don't I just read a BuzzFeed article that's like 15 things to right. do when you're mad and then like I wouldn't have to spend X amount of dollars to go sit across the room from someone and have them tell them to me. Sure, so it's a, it's a good question that I would certainly ask if I was learning this stuff. Sure. Um, why would I, what, what's the point of a therapist when I can go for a hard run and drink plenty of water and do some yoga and meditate and take a sauna and then cold shower after, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we know that that's not all there is to the story. Sure. You know? But the first thing that, I, that comes to mind for me is you can know this stuff intellectually, mm. but you don't, you know, um, you don't integrate it and, and hardwire it into your natural response under pressure. Um, it's the same way that we can, you know, you can know that um, you need to eat less sugar or not do cocaine when you're stressed out mm. intellectually and still mm-hmm. go do it anyway. You know, the, that sort of like hard wiring into your brain piece is a little beyond what these initial short-term tricks can do for you. Sure. Well, and one of the other things that we, um, so I, I can't now, I guess, well, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll use the information that I just received to try and speak about this in, uh, in the language of science. So the other thing, though, so thoughts are electrical and mm-hmm. emotions are chemical. Yeah, and there's some variants of that, sure, but that's sure. a simple way of looking sure. at it. Okay. Um, but still, there are certain aspects of that. Like, if it was just about taking charge of my mind, um, and that's all I had to do, uh, for a lot of us, there's like a, a totally, like, there's a deeper story than that, right? So we're sure. not just, um, we're not just mammals right like we have what like the the third or fourth thickest cortex in the the animal kingdom which makes us like our ability to think about our thinking right Mm -hmm. so it isn't just around like here is this list of coping strategies go do them it's also what are you currently thinking or maybe um unconsciously driven by that's keeping you from being able to Maybe even feel like you deserve to go for that run. Right. Or, you know, what would make you even believe that it works, even though someone's telling you, mm. unless you experience it in the, you know, in the depths of your DNA, right? Yeah. Um, also, let's say you learn that short-term technique. 
what's to stop you from clinging to that immediate relief and preventing yourself from going from emotional defense to emotional offense and progression, right? You can very well stay lingering in your tricks and tactics and never advance to sort of rewiring yourself towards happiness as like a status quo. So that there, there's got to be some level of like a growth kind of mindset. No way. Yeah. But like if, if we're not addressing some of the ways that we think about health, stress, or ourselves and how we're showing up in the world, um, we really are just being sort of reactive to sure. the world around us. Well, if you've ever played any kind of sport whatsoever, um, you have to get your defense down first, whether that's jiu-jitsu or soccer. It doesn't even matter what sport you pick. Um, but you can't win a game just by being very good at blocking the problem alone. Mm. You have to kind of go beyond the problem and one beautiful thing about being humans with opposable thumbs and big brains and all this other stuff and the ability to coordinate with other people even by shouting at them, you know, is the capacity to change your situation to where you're not being bombarded so much and you're not always playing this last-ditch defense to survival. Yeah, and... That's, I think, especially as uh, as we're moving from in therapy to more this idea of like a wellness mindset so that yeah. the person who is maybe thinking about coming to therapy or is, a, is, is going to therapy, it's also about like accepting yourself as this kind of miracle of human evolution and also like normalizing or humanizing some of the things you struggle with and then still like using that knowledge to take action sure. where you want to take it. And the big thing for me um, that makes a lot of sense around like why, why go to therapy is to be accountable to someone um, but not responsible like for them, right? Yeah. So if someone comes in to see me and they're like, hey, I gambled my paycheck away, I have the ability to say, what did that feel like for you, right? Yeah, Instead sure. of being really stressed out because, like, now the, how are we going to pay the rent, of right? Course, so, yeah. so the the thing, like, the why, why, what for, why bother going to therapy if all we need to do is just like optimize our human performance is if you're so taking it back to like knobs and chemicals and and all of those other things. Someone described it to me once, like when we are taking action around changing our behavior, maybe. Um, one of the things we have to start doing is engaging in like thinking or changing our thinking perhaps that turns the volume up on this like rational, smart, thoughtful, like part of our mind that kind of knows who we are and what we want our life to be like or can think about where I want to be in five years. Yeah. As we're allowing... And, and then engaging in things that are healthful that maybe take us towards those goals. So then that also helps maybe turn the volume down on that really impulsive sure. part of my brain that's like, you know what will make this situation feel better? Cocaine or whatever, right? I was yeah. going to say Burger King. Yeah, yeah but cocaine yeah. works like a charm. For now. We're not <laughs> encouraging that anybody listening it is like, just because it works doesn't mean it's a good idea. Doesn't, it doesn't work forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I see, your, I see where you're coming from with this. And... The idea is that, because so far we've touched on the substrate or the, the physical stuff something's made of, 
right? For emotions and for thoughts. We haven't talked about the structure that creates memory, right? So we can say the hippocampus regulates memory, mm -hmm. and that's fair to say. But we have a large part of our brain that serves as just a giant film reel to remember that stuff. And so every time we have a thought or an emotion, it digs and grooves into the substrate of the brain. And so that memory of that time where you touched a hot stove and you go, not doing that again, mm -hmm. that's not a hippocampus thing. Maybe it was in the moment. That's a etched into the structure of your brain. And so these tools, these tricks, these tactics, they're good at getting you immediate movement forward and they will have an effect on you remembering, hey, this worked, I keep doing this, there's hope, awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same as working with another human being, exchanging thoughts at the level of words and paralinguistic gestures, mm -hmm. and sort of slowly and consistently and solidly chiseling into the part of your brain that remembers possibility, that remembers um, what you care about beyond just mere survival. Mm. And so how this kind of ties back into like stress or, um, you know, work-life balance, which we may not have time to get to today, but certainly mm. we're scratching the surface of it is, um, one of the most short-term, super successful stress management strategies that there is out there is avoidance. Oh, absolutely. You know? works like a charm. It does. All the way up until the effort of successful continued avoidance is more difficult than facing the problem itself. Yeah, okay. And I guess the way that I might sort of echo that or, or say it as well is the thing that you're doing to avoid pain becomes excruciating because it's actually keeping you from the things that you want. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, for example... Um, I work because I need to make money because I want to like have a, you know, have a house to live in mm -hmm. with like food that I, I can eat, yeah. you know? Um, and that's, that's a, that's a really like reasonable goal to set. Sure. What may happen though, is that my job becomes so stressful. Maybe I can't enjoy my house or my, like, no. I'm starting to lose my quality of life. And then here is where kind of like the crux of like, let me just like say, people I've seen, I myself, you can either say, okay, wow, this is a really stressful experience for me. I'm going to use it as a motivator for change. Or you go, what are good avoidance techniques for me to keep things the way that they are right now? Certainly. And you know, you look at that too, and the many ways you can go if you don't have if you only had the short-term relief tactics, mm. right? You might very well be like, the path I'm heading on in life is not something that my ability to think and reason will show me to give me a good future. Okay. But I can go work out like crazy. I can go gamble. I can go shopping. I can eat healthy food. I and can post really friends. like post pictures of my flat abs on Instagram. Sure. Yes. And I can get all kinds of social relief. And I can feel awesome chemically and electrically and forget all about the fact that there's a part of me that knows I'm not living up to my purpose uh, or that no, that if I ever stopped and had to face my own thoughts in a prolonged period of time like trying to sleep or something mm. 
that all that stuff that I've been sort of kicking down the road effectively mm-hmm. because I've been hacking my brain like a genius, um, well, then I'm also being foolish because I'm cheating myself out of the existence that I actually care about. Uh-huh. You know? But then how do you, when you're on that road, just like addiction to anything else, how do you stop clinging to the immediate relief techniques that work so well so you can be, so you can accept the possibility of feeling a lot of pain to drive you to do something different down the road? And that's kind of where I would say go to a therapist. Well, right, because when I sit in the silence and I really think about that, because we are also conditioned, um, one of, an avoidance strategy, one of them is obsessive thinking about something else. Of course. Which allows me to avoid perhaps the, the crux of the issue. So in that moment, right, where you and I are sitting in silence together, um, sitting, in, sitting in prolonged silence to actually, like, tap into that part of you that maybe knows what you want or where you want to go is excruciating. Sure. For a lot of us, because we, again, like what contributes to our stress and we allege is contributing to our stress management is this like in your face, um, you can be distracted by things all the time if you want to, yeah. right? Because we're talking about like exercising and, and you know, brain hacks. Um, and that's maybe on the more like healthy end of what can be addictive as sure. an avoidance strategy. Because like maybe I don't feel super satisfied with my life but then if I watch really hilarious YouTube videos about like cats jumping yeah. into snow I can forget about that and then I've managed to I think right avoid the pain of like these deep questions well take your pick right you can go in I'm going to take a crazy stressful job because I'm going to tell myself it pays well and that I'm important and I have a fancy title and I get to get a, you know drive a nice car or whatever. And then I get to be working 19 hours a day and forget all about the fact that I'm not living up to the life I want to live. Yeah, for a second you, know? you were telling my story until you got into like nice car and then I was like, not oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, old therapist humor. Yeah. Well, and so again, like to sit in a room with someone whose job it is to challenge you to slow down and ask yourself hard questions. Sure. And actually sit with, I don't know. Yeah. Um, because a long time ago, someone shared with me, they were like, well, a lot of times, I don't know means I don't want to tell you or I'm afraid to look. Yeah. Right? Because if I ask you a question like, what do you want to be the driving like force in your life? Like, what do you want your life to be for and about? And then you say to me, I don't know. Like, I'm going to challenge you to sit with that because yeah. who would know if it isn't you? Right. right? Well, again, you know, it does, I don't, I don't know may be true. Mm. Um, and that's scary as well. Yeah. Because if, if you really don't know, I mean, I would rather, I, I know what it is. I just haven't gotten up to face it because it's hard. Yeah. That's easier work, I think. But then I have no idea. Oh, see, I don't know. Like, I would go. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about like honesty, uh, even though it's like super painful um, a lot of the time. But for me, like one of the the techniques um, that I I learned in school that I thought was just like really helpful was this idea of externalizing the problem. And so 
um, I used to have people as an exercise. So like, here's something free if you want to try it. Um, on one sheet of paper, on one blank sheet of paper, you write the problem and then you write like everything about like how you feel about yourself or like everything that's like sort of uh, degrading or unkind or whatever, like you write it there on that. And then all of a sudden on this other sheet of paper, the question becomes, well, who are you if you're not the problem? And for a lot of times people are like, I don't have anything to put on this paper. Sure. I'm not saying it's not great work. It's just you're in for, you're in for some work if someone has no idea. Well, but the, the other thing that's really cool about that though is then if you're open to a reframe, that's also instead of like, oh wow, I, I'm nobody. There's, there's absence. It's I could fill this in with, with whatever yeah. feels good for me, right? And so mm-hmm. that's about that's one of the reasons I think that therapy is powerful and helpful, or what would make it worth it for um, someone to to utilize that as a tool, is because. As they say in some uh, mutual support groups, my own best thinking got me here. Sure. And so not to say that someone isn't doing their absolute best, but they may have um, kind of tunnel vision around their stress or what they're presenting with. And so having someone else say, as an unobligated third party, I can observe things and share them with you. You can take what you need. You don't have to... like believe it just because I'm saying it, but yeah. if, if there's trust and safety in that relationship, um, you might be willing to have an open mind to what your therapist is like observing or sharing to you. Well, and speaking of open mind towards your therapist, and we're running tight on time here, and I want to be respectful of that for you, but we have this thing as humans where we will treat our pet mice better than ourselves. <laughs> oh, oh, that hurts. It's so true. That like made my heart hurt. Oh, you're right. You know, and so I've found working with people that oftentimes it's not until I show that I care about them genuinely that they feel like they're worth being cared about as a topic of concern. And I know it seems obvious when you're going into therapy, like, well, of, of course it's for you, but people are, they will, it's it's just that we run into the, um, the thing where people will put themselves last. Mm. And there's something about coming to another human being who is trained and compassionate and really is focused in, and their value in that moment is your value, where mm. you almost get to give yourself that emotional freedom to prioritize yourself because another human being really cares about you and wants to hear it. And I'll, um, I'll kind of echo that with, uh, Carl Rogers, my favorite, um, who was a, a psychologist, um, who was a, the really driving force behind like the humanist movement in sure. psychotherapy, which is the, the question he was kind of positing to all these like big behaviorists was, well, what if people are actually the experts in their own lives and we yeah. treated them like they have the answers, they could just use some support in asking themselves the right questions. And so then his quote, um, which I love is in the interesting paradox is when I accept myself as myself, then I can change. Sure. Right. So as long as I'm avoiding my stress, I can't actually tackle it and do something about it. Or as long as I'm avoiding what I think is like the problem to make it go away, because um, yeah, I know we're we're running out of time, but what's really fascinating and one of the things that 
um, when we tap into it, it can give us a lot of relief, but when we let it run rampant, um, it, we cause ourselves a lot of pain, is that we're biologically hardwired to chase pleasure and to avoid pain. But because of how smart we are and because of how we are able to kind of trick ourselves, sometimes that message gets really twisted where what I think I'm chasing um, I think that's pleasurable. It's actually causing me a lot of pain. Well, it might actually be pleasure and pain too. Because like, mm. we like to go for the dopamine hits, which is that immediate pleasure. We don't yeah. like to go for the serotonin hits, which are more of a long, slow burn. Mm. Okay, so yeah, I mean, the, the way, like a, an easy like way I can kind of think of as an example is, right, when I'm feeling a little bit sad and I go to Burger King and I get sugar, salt, and fat from my like value meal, um, sugar with my soda, um, I get a short-term pleasurable solution to my emotions. The idea, but then what I might be avoiding, even though I know it might be like a more long-term or a lasting solution is, oh man, 2018 is the year I know I need to go to therapy, but I don't want to do that. Sure. And the pursuit of something that's slow but last costs a lot of resources. Um, And, you know, our willpower is a physical resource like any other emotion. Mm. And another fun thing about therapy is we're wired to give more willpower collectively than individually. Mm. So it's almost like we have a little bit of a savings bank that we can't touch by ourselves. Interesting. So then, yeah, I mean, that that taps into uh, maybe a more... And maybe uh, on a different day, episode, like a more, yeah. yeah, a more like spiritual component mm-hmm. of when two people are working in support of each other, uh, there's a, a deeper connection than just like solving a problem, right? So the sure. feeling of connection um, is, it isn't just because we're getting together to uh, build this uh, dining room table. It's also like the there's so much more to it than that. So as human beings, we really thrive in community. Unlocking powerful tribe mode, I guess. Totally. Um, So Beth, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people connect with you if they um, want to learn more about what you do? Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, Right now, you could find me on Psychology Today if you type in my uh, full first name and my last name, which is Elizabeth Pace, P-A-C-E. Um, I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, in the 70119 zip code, and I am accepting new clients. Um, I, I love talking about this stuff, but I also really just um, believe a lot in the fact that human beings have a lot of power to change their own lives. Awesome. And I look forward to the next time I get to use some of your time to have another amazing discussion. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Ken. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. It's our calling to provide information and inspiration to help people achieve happiness, self-mastery, and better lifestyles in any way we can. But I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that though I am a licensed professional counselor, these podcasts are not sufficient to count as clinical intervention nor advice. Please contact a local professional if you find yourself experiencing distress that does not improve with a good and simple routine. And finally, we're striving to improve in all that we do, all the time, and as such, we'd love your feedback. If you want to connect with us further, please do so at paragoncounselor at gmail.com or facebook.com slash paragonwellness.